the Wallop Roundup. Hello and welcome to Wallop Roundup, the September 23 edition. I'm Rylan Turner, joined as always by Kyle Joseph. Kyle, how are you? I'm doing good. I'm excited to get back into wrestling. I have been super out of it because life is getting in the way. Yes, absolutely. Uh, are we have we do have a guest uh, on this episode, wrestling headlines columnist Marissa McCool. How are you? Fantastic. Thank you so much for having me back. Yes, uh, we had such fun last time that I knew I knew that considering that a lot of this conversation today was going to consist of CM Punk, that we <laughs> had to have you back because well, I need you. some backup. I definitely <laughs> oh, you back up. You got it. Trust me. We'll get there. Oh, boy. <laughs> I already showed the shirt I'm wearing, so. Oh, it's a real cult of personality here. We should get into the stuff that we have for this episode. And unfortunately, before we talk about the very exciting wrestling, we do have a couple of passings that we wanted to discuss um, Riley and I have already uh, posted an episode about the passing of Wyndham Rotunda, the Bray Wyatt and WWE. I mean, the, the problem is there's there's so much that you can talk about with regards to Bray Wyatt. But I did want to get uh, Marissa. I did want to get your take on on everything here because uh, this this one hit hard. I feel like this one hit the whole wrestling community very hard. You're right. You're right. And. I don't think there's been one that's this big of a surprise since probably Owen, because it's not like, I don't want to say anything disparaging about Eddie Guerrero, but he had well-known problems, and that was always a possibility, because unfortunately in that era, young guys who were on the roster were dropping all the time, especially those who had had issues with external applicants, shall we say. But it's been so long since an active performer passed away so suddenly and so young and i think maybe it's because i grew up as a kane fan and obviously i didn't know <laughs> the person and his politics shall we say but when i was a young kid getting bullied all the time in the middle of rural south south central pennsylvania like kane was an escape for me someone who had gone through torture and been abandoned by people and was able to fight back like that was really inspiring for me at a dark time so i've always been drawn to those enigmatic odd dark twisted characters and i feel like bray took the best parts of the undertaker the best parts of kane the best parts of all of those different enigmatic characters and made it his own in a way that I don't think there's anyone like him, and I don't think there ever will be anyone like him. And like Kane, Bray had this legion of loyal fans who were so attached to what he did, and I think that's a... It's a sign of how unique he was and how he connected with people. And like Kane, constantly having all these moments just laid out in front of him like hey just do this one thing and it'll create a pop that people are watching on youtube 20 years later nah but but the fact that Wyndham passed after just kind of disappearing off the show a few months ago and then even there being rumors of his comeback in september just for it to be so sudden it's 
it harkens back to an era in wrestling where that was more common and given what his name is and that he comes from a generation of wrestling icons, it's really hard. Absolutely. I, 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 something that has come up a lot since the passing, a lot, a lot of uh, fans posting videos of just their interactions with the guy. Just what a sweet teddy bear this guy was. Just always taking the time out to sign uh, something or say hello or say hi to someone's kid. It just, I, I know that that's part of the, 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 the game in pro wrestling, but it just, um, when we talk, we, again, we, we, we've talked over the last few months about people who have passed and how no one has a bad thing to say about them. And Bray Wyatt's obviously, or, or Wyndham Rotunda is definitely one of those people, just somebody that, man, it's been so hard over the last few weeks to really like digest this. Um, yeah. And you say it's part of the game to sign autographs and meet people. There are those who do it out of obligation. And there are those who do it genuinely and those who actually seem to care about people. And given how much time I spent in wrestling in the 2000s, I know the difference. And there's such a difference between the videos you see of Wyndham or the tweets of him responding to a kid who got bullied by sending him a T-shirt and just all of those authentic moments where so many wrestlers show up to an indie show and don't even look at you and just like, where's your five bucks, brother? And get a, take a picture that they never even look at you or consider you as a human. And I think that's important to distinguish. I think for me, the thing that I, I think almost goes without saying is as much as, you know, I, I was looking forward to seeing what Bray Wyatt was going to do for the rest of his career. We never got to see him in a producer role. We never got to see him, you know, run his own company. This is a guy who had a puppet of his boss, Devil Horns, on TV every week. Like, and he, he even used the it's good shit line. Like, yeah. <laughs> he somehow made that television worthy. I, everything about, like, I mean, you know, those are things like, so endlessly creative clearly you know love doing this love business and everything and it's it is a shame it, it, it really it's a really really tragic situation one thing i did want to point out is uh the day we recorded our four Wyndham episode was uh the friday after or sorry the the day after his passing and uh the wwe did a tribute show to him and i thought it was absolutely tremendous like, I, I take nothing away. I understand that, you know, the show has to go on in some way, shape, or form. But they, they and, and they also honored the guy we're going to talk about next in a very awesome segment, too. Uh, so, like, I, I do think that they did, um, they did justice for, you know, the fact that, you know, this is obviously a very heartbreaking story. And a lot of the people who watch their product and uh, wrestling as a whole we're reeling and we're having a hard time with this and I, I think that it was a really Smackdown that week was a beautiful escape I have to disagree slightly okay only because like I remember the Owen tribute show and the Eddie tribute show and they made the entire show about them and they put the people who were closest to them in prominent roles to give feel good moments and I feel like that was missing the stuff that was about Bray and Terry 
was beautiful and heartfelt and well done. But then it was just like, oh, it's just SmackDown now. And I don't think that felt appropriate to me. And maybe it's because I am comparing it to the Owen and Eddie shows. But if you remember, the entire show was about Owen. Right. And they had candid videos of them talking about Owen. And same with Eddie. And who was, of course, in the Eddie tribute show? It was Chavo. It was like, where's Bo Dallas? Where's Eric Rowan? Where's all these people who have the closest connection? Like, I know LA Knight worked with him, but where's Bo? Where's these people who are, especially Eric, protect Eric with bubble wrap, please. Both Brody he, he and was on the stage. Gone? He, he He was on yeah. the stage. I, I agree but, with you to a certain degree. I, I, I think in regards to Bo, I mean, it was a day removed. I, I could see how he maybe didn't want to. And and maybe just fair. wanted to to to, to, to whatever. I, I I agree with you that the show did like when I saw Bailey being Bailey, I was upset about that. A hundred percent. I I was like, no, this is a moment where we need to be remembering. But I do feel like in the in the grand scheme of things, like they did they did give a lot of re- like they everyone did a promo about him. Everyone said something fantastic about him and Terry. And and um I, you know, it, it, you you did see the testimonials about him come out on their YouTube page. I agree with you. It wasn't the same as the Owen and Eddie tribute shows, but I, I did appreciate the fact that they didn't just let it kind of blow by the wayside. Yeah, that's that's fair. Like, I, ju- I just wish there had been more and I wish people had been given those authentic moments instead of having to be on YouTube. Yes, especially because he's actively out the roster, you know? Like it's different when it's somebody who who's been removed from it, and they give them the the ten bell salute or whatever it is. But somebody who was you know there working for them at the time, I feel like there is you know something out with regards to that. Um, we will move on to the other passing. Uh, Terry Funk passed away on August twenty third, age of seventy nine. I. Did a little bit of digging with regards to Terry Funk, but I do want to sort of open the floor uh, if Rylan or Ernest, if either of you have any things that you wanted to talk about with Terry Funk before I, I get into it a little bit. Chris, I'll let you go first. I think in the world of professional wrestling where everything is turned up to 11 and everything is loud and brash and over the top, which is fine. I think there's so much to be said for a character like Terry Funk who delivered promos just like, yeah, I'm just going to be down here and just say things very quiet, but you know who I am. So it's kind of terrifying if you think about it. Like, I think there's so much to be said for that kind of innovation. And there's very few who not only can pull that off, but aren't trying to just be the loudest person where loudest equates better and the, the amount of innovation this guy did and the amount of different things that he did before anyone else and a lot he, nobody else has done it since. It's just, I'm glad he had a rich, fulfilling life and he got to do so many cool things. Like I just remember watching Quantum Leap and seeing him like, oh, Terry Funk's here. Okay, I guess it's the wrestling episode. So what a cool life. That's the best thing I can say is how how many cool different things that this guy gets to do. Oh, oh, a thing that stands out for me is like you when you think about Terry Funk, you don't think about him in a major promotion. He had time in the WCW, the late, late W, late 90s. 
early uh, 2000, the year 2000, Terry Funk was prominent. Let me tell you, at one point he was the commissioner. Um, you think about there are times when he was, there was a time in the eight, mid 80s where he was in the WWF, but that didn't, you know, it didn't amount to much. It was just another guy for Hogan to to trample. But this guy took, and, and this guy in his 50s took ECW, put it on its, put it on his back and just rode that horse to the top. And suddenly everybody wanted to talk about Terry Funk again because Terry Funk was doing shitty moonsaults that people were popping ridiculously for. And it was fascinating television. This guy is an all-time promo, I think, when it comes to guys who have done promo. I've gone back and watched a lot of his stuff. And this, like you said, Marissa, like soft-spoken, but when he delivers something, it's terrifying. It's terrifying because you don't know what he's got in him. This guy had years in Japan um, that I'm. he was just a killer. Like every single Japanese promotion it had a tribute for Terry Funk. Nobody forgot Terry Funk. This is a guy who is, I, I said, I believe I said to Kyle right after the passing, this is like a godfather of pro wrestling. Like this guy's serious business. And again, this guy doesn't have a WWF title reign. He doesn't have a WCW title reign. He's got ECW, a couple of ECW ones. But again, if you really look back in time, like that company wasn't, you know, doing ridiculous numbers. Um, yeah, Kyle, I'll, I'll let you, uh, let's, let's hear what you've done research wise. Cause I was uh, curious if, how you're going to do. No, he did hold the 10 pounds of coal. I do. Okay. NWA title. Yes. yes he, I believe, believe he beat Flair for that. Did he not? Uh, yeah. Well, he held it. I think he held it a couple times, but we'll, we'll get into it here. The thing that is going to stand out above, above everything else, I think for Terry Funk's legacy in wrestling is the longevity. I'm going to give you a list of names of people that Terry Funk wrestled. Just, just a list of of some you know notable people that he wrestled to give you a sense of of the longevity. So, uh, Iron Mike DiBiase, who was Ted DiBiase's adoptive father, Fritz Von Erich, the patriarch of the Von Erich family, Harley Race, Stick the Bruiser, Jerry Lawler, Dusty Rhodes, Bob Backlund, Jack and Jerry Briscoe, Jimmy Snuka, Bob Armstrong. Bob Orton, Stan Hansen, Tito Santana, Junkyard Dog, Sting, Andre the Giant, Nick Foley, Abdullah the Butcher, Ric Flair, Sabu, Tommy Dreamer, Raven, Brett the Hitman Hart, the Dudley Boys, CM Punk, Rey Mysterio, Harlem Heat, and Lance Storm. Like, that is eras of wrestling. Yep. Oh, yeah. That is a longevity that is hard to fathom. His first match was in 1965. His last one was in 2017. He had a couple of them in 2017. In 2016, by the way, he wrestled for House of Hardcore, uh, Tommy Dreamer's promotion, five days after hernia surgery. To put it into perspective, I can think of multiple wrestlers who were born after Terry Funk's first match and died before his last match. Mm-hmm. Um, wow. But Cage Match, which is a very, very valuable resource for this, has found a collection of 2,588 Terry Funk matches. To put that in perspective, 
if we were to consider that as a match of a week, that is almost 50 years. At a pace of match a week. Now, he did a lot more than that in some of his more active years. And this may not even be a fully comprehensive list. But the thing that gets lost in the longevity, because the longevity I do think is is really, really incredible. Because, you know, to say that there are, you know, there's a lot of wrestlers for him you say they gave everything to the business. And Terry Funk is certainly among those who gave everything to the business. It's just that Terry Funk had so much to give to the business that to say that he gave everything, he gave, you know, three people's worth uh, to, to wrestling because he just kept going and kept doing it. Um, but we're talking about a guy who was a good wrestler, um, you know, very impressive wrestler. He had three Wrestling Observer five-star matches. 1984, a uh, tag match with him and his brother Dory versus Bruiser Brody and Stan Hansen. In- oh, my God. How did someone not die in that? Oh, my God. Um, 89, an I Quit match with Ric Flair, which is probably the his best remembered in the rings match. And 92, uh, a hardcore match uh, in World uh uh, World Wrestling Association, a Texas death match with Eddie Gilbert. This guy had four-star Wrestling Observer matches as late as 1997. Had one with Bret Hart in 1997. Uh, and another one with uh, Big Stevie Cool and, and The Sandman, which I can't imagine. <laughs> I don't know. Again, we talk about, the other thing is for Terry Funk, I don't know if there is a person in sport who has bled more on a canvas than Terry Funk. I'd have a hard time thinking of somebody else. I think Moxley's quickly trying to catch up to that. Yeah, <laughs> Mo- absolutely. is really hard to get out there, but like he has got a long way to go. And those are, those are city miles. I genuinely hope he doesn't get there. But like, uh, just look at one of the four star matches. By the way, I've got on this list is a. Barbed wire board, barbed wire baseball, uh, bat, bunkhouse death match with, among others, uh, Cactus Jack was involved in that match, too. I, yeah, this is a guy who just the longevity, the capacity, the ability, the willingness to go through pain, to come back the next night and keep going. It is incredible. Uh, Legendary figure in the NWA, obviously ECW, WCW as well as it's sort of, uh, as NWA sort of folded into WCW. A key figure in the 80s for that. Like, yeah. What can you say, Terry Funk? Terry Funk is eternal. I just sent a video to the little group chat that three of us have together uh, of Terry Funk joining Rikishi dancing. Uh, this must have been like 2015. The chops that Terry Funk has dancing is ridiculous. Like, it's a video that both of you should definitely watch before the end of the night, and a memory of Terry Funk that is forever burned into my brain. Um, This guy's, like, rest in peace forever. That's all I have to say about Terry Funk. Absolutely legend of the business, and 
this guy who was in this business for a long, long time. Oh, he wrestled Bobby Lashley. There you go. It <laughs> was just all, sort of always there. Um, I think that's what we had for that. I think it's time to get into some pay-per-views. Let's do it. So we'll get into All In first. Did either of you watch the pre-show of All In? I did. I was up at 11 o'clock. I was up at 5.30 that morning. I was so jacked up for that show. And at 11 o'clock, they they surprised everyone and they put an extra hour on the pre-show. And uh, it was entertaining. The panel was Renee, uh, Kip Sabian, Paul White, and uh, Anthony Agogo. And I thought that all of them sounded great. And they did. They ended up getting on the pre-show by uh, getting involved with, uh, I believe, Marissa, you've dubbed them the Triple J unit. Mm-hmm. Um, and and choke slamming and and knocking out everybody in that uh, fun little segment. Uh, other than that, I think it was Hobbs and Miro doing a contract signing, which led to some violence and got Simon Miller on the show. I'm <laughs> <laughs> um, big Simon Miller guy. Um, do you have any notes about the two matches that took place? Anything you want to sort of discuss? I mean, the MJF Adam Cole versus Aussie Open match was surprisingly short but like given what i know that mjf and adam cole had to do in the main event i can understand that a little bit it didn't matter how long that match was though the crowd ate that shit up ridiculously and just every moment of that match was loved the kangaroo kick the double clothesline and that's that mjf and adam cole are the ring of honor tag champs and what a culmination of a of a well thought out storyline, or at least the I would say the first act of a storyline, because I'm hoping this isn't something that ends soon. I I've talked about it in my column where when I was covering WWE in the 2010s, the only thing that made me not go insane was Team Hell No and those Team Hell No segments that they did, and not just because I was a massive Kane mark, but because the dynamic made it entertaining and it was something that felt different and the way the personalities clash with each other worked really well and i think you could take mjf and adam cole make a couple of detail changes and you have very similar segments going on and they just keep getting more and more ridiculous and for someone who gives away a large ham at the end of every show i've pretty much said these guys win for the year. Like there's no, well, there is a little bit of competition in a recent character that's come up that I'm sure we'll talk about at some point, but these segments have been brilliant. And the fact that they've been able to pull, I would say rock 1999 <laughs> levels of getting anything over just cause they say it has been unreal in the postmodern era of everything sucks. And I go there to hate things to just see, the genuine way that people will cheer them no matter what kind of stupid shit they try to get over. <laughs> it, they I got a double it. clothesline over. A double clothesline. And a front drop kick. <laughs> yeah. We'll move on to the next match. Uh, Hook and Jack Perry. Any thoughts on this particular one? Uh, oh, God. Here's, this is where it starts. This is where it starts. Uh, the match was fine. Like, I, I thought both guys work well together. You know, like it was a no holds barred type situation. You know, somebody went through a limousine uh, 
windshield. Apparently it was real glass. Apparently it was real glass. Um, and then Hook beat him. You know, like that's that's what that was. It led into more, but that's what that was. That's how, that's how I feel about that one. It should have been the RVD match. Why did mm-hmm. they pull that and not put it on a, a bigger show? I, I agree 100% because the RVD match was great. It yeah. was fine for what it was. RVD was huffing and puffing. But man, as as gassed as he definitely was, that match was a lot more fun than this one. Yeah. And I, I Are think... Are we sure RVD still had to travel international? Good point. Oh, I sure don't know. Fine. I'm sure he's fine. But it's just like they needed if they to got do- fucking if they got Cash Wheeler over there, I'm sure RVD wouldn't have had no problem. But they they needed to do something. I think they they hinted at this storyline we were going to go down where like Jack Perry tried to fight ECW, and then we just stopped that and Hook was back, and that was it. And AEW has a habit of teasing things like that, and then just going back to the thing that they were going to do anyway. And it was like, well, why did we take this little Jerry Lynn side quest thing here? But I was hoping with all the insults he was throwing Taz's way, we were going to at least see him get up and choke him out or, at some point. And maybe that's just because I wanted to see Jack Perry get choked out by somebody. Oops. Whoops. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. Boy, we're, we're already... Hey, okay. you know, I'll, get, I'll get Joey numbers. Come down there. He'll, he'll fix you up. He'll get you a choke out. I'm telling you. <laughs> <laughs> this is gonna. This is gonna be interesting. This conversation is gonna get very interesting. We're gonna try. We're gonna try to make it to the end of this pay per view before we get into uh, yeah. the post pay per view. Let's say. Uh, oh, speaking of, uh, CM Punk defeated. Samoa Joe to retain the real world championship. Uh, thoughts on this one? This was a great match. This was great. It was a great way to start. Punk was booed vociferously. Um, and Joe was over. Joe was playing into it. He was having a blast. Punk was having a blast. This was a really, really great opening match. Uh, it. I'm not going to say that it touched anything that the next weekend got for me, match of the year-wise, but it was certainly one of the best matches I've seen CM Punk have in uh, AEW. And the heat that this crowd brought, one of the best that Samoa Joe has brought, too. Two things about it don't make sense. First of all, why did they do this, like, two months earlier? Because they should have saved it for this. And two, if we were going to go into MJF versus Samoa Joe for the world title, why did Joe lose? Not that I'm, I'm not saying I wanted to see CM Punk lose, but I'm saying if that's where we were going to go, why? And maybe it's just because I'm sick of AEW's track record of certain people just failing upwards and getting more title shots. But I think you could have had Joe win again and it would have been fine. But it was a amazing match. It was an absolutely amazing match because those two know what they're doing, no matter how Joe may be feeling about current events at the time. We will move along. Uh, sh- should be, we should be able to uh, soldier through the rest of this before we, we get into the actual spicy stuff. Um, Bullet Club Gold defeated the Golden Elite in a trios match. Thoughts on this one? Uh, this was a lot of fun. It was a little bit much at times. I feel like there was a lot of shit going on all at once in the camera. <laughs> camera the camera guys on this show, between this 
and the stadium stampede should have gotten a raise because they were everywhere. And uh, it just, for me, like at that point, after seeing the pre-show and seeing the Punk and, and Joe match, I, I like it just, it felt like, okay, now we have to really be awake. Um, other than that, like I, I enjoy all of their work. So like, it's not like I'm going to sit here and disparage uh, two individuals because of reasons. Um, but no, I, I, no, I, I thought this was a lot of fun. I, those two individuals aren't even in this match. I'm not even, I, I'm, I'm, I'm ahead of the game. I'm ahead of the game. Juice Robinson is a national treasure and I won't hear any arguments to the contrary. Yeah. I a hundred percent agree. <laughs> Bullet Club gold has been fantastic. So go on though. Like Juice Robinson, any segment he's in, he's the most entertaining part of it. it uh, unless you include cardboard Jay White. <laughs> Because it, he's just so amped up, but not in a way that's like, I want to say Grandmaster Sexy, like annoying, but just you always know what he's doing and he always draws your attention in that way. That's like, I don't know what this guy's going to do next, but I love it. I don't know why, but I love it. I, uh, I found a meme the other day that compared him to the Honeycombs mascot from the 90s. Yes. And I can't unsee that now. I can't. Every time he's in there, I'm just like, fuck, can't be some honeycombs. Let's go. <laughs> Two boats. We'll move on. Um, FTR defended their AEW Tag Team Championships against the Young Bucks. Thoughts on this one? JR didn't know Freddie Mercury was dead. Oh, JR. <laughs> <laughs> Kyle's like, oh, now I have to watch this show for sure. Well, they're, they're uh, I love the Freddie Mercury references on the show too. I will say, like they, it felt like Queen meets AEW. I love it. Yeah, the, like they were coming out and they explained to Jr. it was a Freddie Mercury tribute, and Jr. is like, he's not here, is he? I'm like, no, Jr. <laughs> he died in 1992. No, this match was was great, as you would expect from the Bucks and FTR getting in there. Uh, I was happy with the uh, FTR going over. I uh, not not because of anything to do with, you know, punk or whatever. It just uh, I think they're hot right now. And I think that, you know, Kyle, we've talked about plenty of times on our shows. Um, striking while the iron is hot. And I think that these guys are the guys who are going to lead this tag division right now. And the Bucks don't need it. So why give the win to them? Um, that's my thoughts, though. Kyle, I know you haven't seen any of this, but like, uh, what are your thoughts on the booking so far? Surprising. I, I agree with you. Samoa Joe was going to be the direction that I do think that he should have won. I don't understand the decision to to book uh, Hook and Perry. And yeah, I think the Bullet Club Gold getting the victory is was surprising too. I guess they're trying to ramp them up or in particular to Kashta, it's hard to say. Yeah, it's uh, it's definitely surprising, but I don't know if that's bad. Well, there might be bad surprises. Stadium Stampede. Eddie Kingston, Penta, Best Friends, and Orange Cassidy defeated Blackpool Combat Club with the addition of Santana or Ortiz, who were friends for exactly long enough to do this match. Yep. <laughs> yep. Oh, my God. Did that stuff ever, like, fire off as soon as possible, eh? Uh-huh. Um, thoughts on this? 
I'm so sick of the BCC losing. Like they lost three in a row, three out of the la- three out of the four matches to the elite, and then they they've lost like every big match they've had this year. And the only one that they didn't was because Takeshita interfered. And it's like, you can't keep calling these the most dominant, badass group ever if they lose every single time. I thought this was the best stadium stampede we've ever seen. Um, I thought everything was perfect. The crowd was perfect. The way they shot was perfect. I think the lead up to these, like to this one rather, like all the pre- previous stadium stampede matches have been kind of like a, all right, let's try this. Uh, am I wrong? Did did Stadium Stampede not feature like a song that went the entire match last time? I think that was Anarchy in the Arena. Oh, mm. there's too many of these matches. I, I don't <laughs> disagree. <laughs> um, look, I thought this was so much fun. I I agree that the BCC shouldn't be losing that much, but honestly, after how All Out finished, I'm not that like bummed out about it because i think that there's certainly still some heat on that group and i think that we're going to continue to see success for all of those guys because i think everybody in this match had um perfect spots the the closing shot where eddie kingston and john moxley are folded into a table covered in blood and eddie kingston's just flipping him off like that was great. That was great. That almost might be better than him walking down the ramp covered in blood with gasoline or whatever the fuck he had. Uh, no, I, I, I thought this was really, really good. I really, really good. And I'm super high on orange Cassidy right now, man. Like Two votes. he is a contender for wrestler of the year for me, match of the year for me. Like he's killing it in every degree. And even his interviews are great. I, loved hearing orange cassidy say that he doesn't wrestle for jim Cornette, so he just <laughs> his opinion on him so yeah no i i i love this match this was one, probably one of my favorite matches on the card if not my favorite one I'd, I'd really have to think about it but i'm pretty sure this one's at least top two and we got penta pulling the foley and doing a gimmick change mid-match yes yes <laughs> There was, I will say, that's also the best that AEW has ever been at making a injury look real. Because mm-hmm. I was like, oh shit, this match just got more interesting because now they don't have that guy. And I didn't think to myself, like, he's just going to come back as, like, Pet to Dark or, or whatever he is now. Um, but, yeah, shit. That was great. It was great. The whole match was great. I loved it. I just wish that the BCC didn't lose all the time. <laughs> We had one women's match, as is tradition. It went eight minutes and 50 seconds, as is tradition. And Soraya is the women's champion now? Yeah, yeah. So, uh, I mean, I'll open with this and say that as soon as she came out to We Will Rock You, I knew what the match end was going to be. Like, you don't you don't license Queen and go, you're going to lose this match. Like, this this lady was over as fuck. Um, this match was a mess from the beginning. Like, the idea of booking a face... Like, they tried to make it seem like, oh, in the women's division in AEW, Fatal 4-Ways, they're legendary. They're, they're, they're fine. There, there's certainly more to do with a Fatal 4-Way than with a one-on-one match. But, like, I can't tell you in 
like and maybe I'm you know not thinking hard enough. Uh, an AEW women's fatal four way match for the title that I can honestly like remember right now. Aside aside from that one, I think it was a reference to the first All In and having the fatal four way women's match that involved Britt Baker, if I'm not mistaken. Okay, well, and great, great. You had one of the one of the cast members of that match. But she one, really one did. Made, the other one of the other ones immediately quitting the company and not sitting on any bonus. AW. Um, uh, this match was fine. It, it wasn't anything special. I'm happy for Soraya. It's great, your women's champion. But now you got to wrestle. <laughs> and if, if you're going to put this belt on this lady, I'm sorry, I don't want a Brock Lesnar run. I don't want, you know, her defending the title on pay-per-views. I want to see her doing what Tony Storm was doing, what Hikaru Shida was doing, what Britt Baker was doing. I want to see that. And so far, it looks like we have, like, it's obvious that the outcasts are done. And it's just a matter of time before we finally, like, put a nail in that coffin. And rightfully so, because it's not been good. Um. But yeah, I'm curious to know the, what they're going to do with her. That's for sure. Like, I, Tony Storm, you know, she's been great. I, I was not a fan of her for many, many years, and I thought I've I've thought her AEW run has been fantastic. I do like the new character she's taken on, but I just I we'll see, we'll see, Marissa. I I have to commend AEW for not humiliating people in their hometown constantly. That's one of the things that makes me watch AEW over the other place. And they gave Soraya the hometown pop, and I'm glad they did. I'm not as thrilled about after I found out about the, the allegations against the rest of her family that they were featured so prominently. But yeah, I, I, I also I'm tired of the we're allergic to more than one match per show thing. And to book Hikaru Shida to get that second title reign after talking about how she only had a title reign during the pandemic only to lose it like two weeks later that also didn't make sense but it gave birth to this tony storm golden age diva character and anything that brings us that is fine with me because she just gets better by the week kyle what are your thoughts on this i have i i don't know hikaru shida needs to be booked better um, she's amazing, and uh, this this is very dis- a little bit disappointing to see that. I did not realize that Serena's family was there. I thought they were blackballed during. Uh, oh no, dude! They were front row. Her mother got involved in the match. They came out oh. with her. Oh, okay, that's a choice. Which, because yeah, I was pretty sure after uh, the allegations that happened with uh, the speaking out stuff that they weren't going to be. They were for certain on ground on the wrestling community. Although, so was pretty much all of British wrestling at that point in time. Apparently it was bad. Yeah. Um, beyond that, I agree with you with the Tony Storm character. I think it's a very fascinating direction for her. And also, this Emmy Sakura erasure will not stand. Agreed. Is it... There is one character who is allowed to come out. To, I do, yeah. There's a character who literally comes out, you know, as Freddie Mercury, and they didn't give her the clean song. Um, 
that's a choice. I, I'm assuming the Queen song, right? <laughs> I'm assuming that um, the decision to do this was in part because they got tired of listening to Serena's boyfriend's shitty band. But Fuck that guy. <laughs> I don't know if this is going to be a permanent choice. Like probably just a one-off, but but yeah, I I agree with everything you said. I also agree that. All the best, you know, I can think of the, the best five women's matches in the AEW's division that I can think of off the top of my head have all been singles matches. And especially for pay-per-views, at least two. At least two matches. And it's the only match on the main card that went less than ten minutes. Like, it's why you have a four-person match so then you can have, you know, breaks and things to, I do, it doesn't make sense. None of this makes a lot of sense. And good luck, because they've got Soraya. This is the person they wanted to carry the division, and she's got the belt now, and I, I hope she can deliver. She has been pretty good wrestling so far, but the expectations are going to be a lot higher. Darby Allen Sting defeated Christian Cage and Swerve in a coffin match. Speaking of people I'm sick of seeing losing. Yeah, right? Yeah, I agree with you on that. I 100% agree with you on that. Um, 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 Christian Cage and Jack Perry Alliance when? When they kicked uh, AR Fox uh, out. I think. Oh, wait. Uh, you, you said something. When did. No, oh, when, oh when, I understand no. what you mean now. No, when are they? When are they doing that? I guess now they're probably not. But like, I thought that was the plan. I don't know. It's Christian Cage, Prince Nava. That's a choice. It it wasn't it wasn't like a permanent no. thing. Like it was just a you know this guy can't get to the UK, so we're gonna kick him out of the group and, um, you know that that's that. Unfortunately, it went down that way. I I, I think that's kind of lame. Personally, I really enjoyed AR Fox as a part of that group. I think that he fit perfect. And now we've got this convoluted, confusing story between Darby and Nick Wayne. And I'm like, eh, whatever. Like, anyway, but uh, the match itself, uh, Sting finally, Sting finally got mm-hmm. Metallica. He fu- It wasn't the live version of the song. Seek and Destroy was what they came out to. It was great. A cool moment. Um, Look, uh, I, I have a hard time shooting on Sting matches in 2023 and in 2022. Uh, this guy always finds a way to make it a fun match. And when a 65-year-old man is doing a senton off the apron through a table, that's a fun match. Uh, Darby fucked up his back real hard on this match. Um, but again, I 100% agree with you, Marissa. Like, it's... it's Swerve needs these wins more than I think uh, anyone's ever given him credit for. And now it looks like he's starting a program with Hangman Page and like, do I see him beating Hangman? I don't know. I I, I hope so. But ugh. that that was the only thing that kind of hung over me on this match is Swerve is losing again. Yeah, when, when you don't have a very diverse card and let's face it, they didn't. To have one really featured prominent person of color who is 
he just radiates star. Like Swerve is so friggin' good. But he loses no matter how many times he adds someone to his stable, no matter who interferes, no matter who does what. And I think there's only so many times you can go to that well before he just disappears into the mid card. And it, it's frustrating because at least he's on the show. I can say that. What the hell Keith Lee is doing, I have no idea. And why we still haven't gotten that singles match between those two, can't even th fathom that. But like every time Swerve comes out, it's just like, oh, this is the guy. Like this is someone to pay attention to. And then he loses. <laughs> and I'm I'm tired of that. The, the match itself, I, I feel like I disagreed with half of the results of this show, but the the matches themselves were great. They were a ton of fun. This one included. And here's something we can all agree on. Uh, Will Ospreay defeated Chris Jericho in match. This was, this was a really good match. This is probably Chris Jericho's best AEW match. Honestly, like they had a tremendous match. Jericho came to play. There was no sloppiness. There was no you know, bullshit. No, it was just a straight up wrestling match. And I thought it was great. I was really, really happy with this one. And I was worrying in, man, was I ever worried. Is Will Osprey capable of having bad matches? Cause I've never seen one. Well, I mean, again, Chris Jericho's record is, is shady lately. So I was worried, but, uh, Marissa, Turning Chris Jericho face before facing Osprey and Wembley made no sense whatsoever. But the match itself was fine. If there's anything I don't care about in 2023, it's Chris Jericho and especially as a face. But it 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 was better than I feared it would be because Jericho has just not connected this year. And we had him in this storyline where all his friends are leaving him and everybody's tired of his shit. And then they're just like, oh, no, no, wait, wait, wait. Good guy now. Good guy. Well, that's what we need right before he's about to face Will Ospreay in the UK. But I think they did the best that those two could possibly do in the given circumstances. I just honestly didn't care. The acclaimed and Billy Gunn defeated the House of Black to win the Trios Championships. This makes me sad a little bit. Uh-huh. Um, firstly, put some respect on his name. That's badass <laughs> Billy Gunn, who showed oh, up at Wembley. Badass was there. Not daddy ass, but badass. Uh, no, like, look, I, I get it. I 100% feel the same way with you, Kyle. Like, I don't think the acclaim need this. But I'm not like the, the the moment was great. The the crowd reaction to this match was great. Everybody did their shit. Um I hope this means like a higher, you know, status on the card for the House of Black. But uh, I mean, like, I don't think that like them losing the titles necessarily hurts them. I'm I'm kind of in the position with the House of Black and Samoa Joe where I don't feel like the losses, dependent upon how they do it, hurt them. And I don't think this loss actually hurt that group. So I thought that, you know what? Firstly, uh, them coming out to pay tribute to Bray Wyatt was great. Um, their gear was fantastic. And, you know, like this match was a lot of fun. And it, you had that feel-good acclaimed moment at the end. And I'm not opposed to that. 
I just wish it wasn't with the House of Black. I think the fact that Billy Gunn is the most over he's ever been at age 59 is one of the best stories in wrestling this century. Like, just think about all of the failed stops and restarts this guy had, especially in the early aughts. And to see him now getting unironically cheered when, if you think back to like, 2001 he was being called bitter billy bitch cakes like just the 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 way he turned around and had a late career bloom it's different than sting who was always at the top and always over but someone who just got pushed down or wasn't motivated or had to lose characters multiple kinds of characters and just face like it doesn't matter what your name is. That alone just crashed his initial big run. So it makes me happy to see him genuinely having fun and getting a moment like that. Kyle, I'm curious. Do you know that Billy Gunn won the King of the Ring in 1999? I didn't know that. That's that's a... Like, 100%, Marissa. 100%. Like, Billy Gunn has been a revelation this year. And while I'm not holding him to the same degree as I'm holding, uh, you know, like Orange Cassidy, uh, you cannot argue with the fact that this whole thing with the acclaimed has been great and it's been a rejuvenation for him. And I'm here for it. All the credit to Billy Gunn. I also have to say I would have marked out just a little bit harder if they paid Jim Johnston just to hear I'm an ass man. Wow, wow. Great. That would have been great. And of course, I made a bet. MJF defeated Adam Cole to defend his world championship. This match was not as good as the one they had on TV. Um, I, in my opinion, I really love what they're doing with these two guys, but I'm kind of at a point where I want to see one of them turn already. And I don't know, I, I don't care which one it is. If it's MJF, okay, it's always been, you know, heel MJF anyway. If it's Adam Cole, cool. You're re- reuniting him with the kingdom and with uh, Roderick Strong. He has a unit, I'm happy for him. But I don't know, I'm, I'm, I'm just, <sighs> the tag match did more for me than this match and they you know what they tried the 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 roman reigns drama after the match or during the match and i don't know like it was okay but it wasn't what i wanted from that match anyway i i did i gotta disagree i don't want this story to end yet i'm i get so much enjoyment out of these two being the bffs like going to the trampoline park and seeing Adam Cole unabashedly be like, look how high I can jump, Adam. Look how high I can jump, Max. Like those things, them going to Outback, them going everywhere, doing a double clothesline to a fake Steve Irwin with an inflatable alligator in a kiddie pool. Like this is the joy I want out of wrestling. And I don't, I think it would have been too easy and too predictable to have one of them turn there. I think the old friends versus new friends story that they're going to go with is a lot more compelling because we're talking about a guy who has never had any friends. And yeah, that could be a tragic 
face story for MJF. Or it could be the predictable he turns on everybody story. But I like this. I love the story that the, the two of them are telling, especially as they keep calling back and coming full circle to so many little moments that they've had throughout their storyline. And I, I don't see... Th- I don't see them stretching it out like bloodline levels, but I don't want them to get hot feet and immediately make their choice because it's so much fun. And I like fun. And I like, I don't care what the cornets of the world say. Funny to me makes me remember things. Hell, I was just comparing it to Team Hell No, which was 12 years ago. I, I will say, um, I did some fantasy booking with this angle. And while I'm kind of on the side where I think Adam Cole should do the turn and become the heel, I would I would really love a segment on Dynamite where MJF comes out to face Roderick Strong, the Kingdom, Adam Cole, and he's backed up by Darby Allen, by Sammy Guevara, and by eventually Jack Perry. That's the only way I have Jack Perry coming back is in that in that segment, but. Um, I'll, I'll leave that there. Kyle, what are your thoughts on all this? I don't I book show. I'm looking forward to going in and, and uh, getting to watch it. But there's a lot of surprises. I guess they wanted to, you know, give something for the crowd to go home happy with with a couple of these uh, surprising Facebooks, which is cool. I don't know what this is going to lead to. Um Alcohol and MJF are the ROH tag champions, yeah? Mm-hmm. Yes. That's still a thing? Yep. Okay. That is... I, I can't imagine they're going to be on ROH tickets. We'll find out. We I think we're going to find out. But yeah, I... I mean, it looks like, for all accounts, it seems to be a, a really well-loved show. And just the fact that you had a crowd like that at a show like that is huge for AEW. It makes them look like a big deal of promotion. And they but, book and they book number two for next year already. Hopefully they can get similar ticket sales in there. Uh we will see. But yeah, it's exciting. And uh, now we gotta talk about this stuff. <laughs> Here we go. So Jungle Boy Jack Perry and Cookie Monster Punk decided they weren't good friends anymore. Started yelling at each other backstage, turned into a bit of a kerfuffle, and which led to CM Punk yelling at Tony Khan and apparently allegedly saying I quit. And Tony Khan took him up on that. Um CM Punk appears to be gone from AEW. Jack Perry is suspended indefinitely. I'm not sure what's going to happen with that. And Tony Khan made this announcement in Chicago. What is going on? Marissa, I'm going to let you go first on this because I need some time. First of all, I'll say I, I spent parts of five years in the wrestling business. And some of the people that I trained with were close with punk at the time. And including one of my late friends who unfortunately passed away in 2011 part of that Chicago click with Hero and all uh, in Cabana and all of those others. And the way I understood the wrestling business at the time was if somebody's got beef, 
the promoter says, you two, go out back, punch each other until you work it out if you have to. That was the business I came up in. And that's the business that Punk came up in. That is not the business that Jack Perry and to to an extent, the elite are a part of, I don't think. I really think, I've been saying it for over a year, this has been a clash of wrestling generations and psychologists in the sense that Punk is old school. Punk is a guy who was similar to The Undertaker in the backstage behavior sense. We also have this wrestling media that has to report every time that CM Punk goes to play Uno backstage at Impact. And I don't think that helps. But I have to say also, as an autistic person, there are, especially an autistic person in the passive-aggressive Midwest United States, I cannot tell you the amount of time that it has happened where someone has said, I, I want you to be honest and direct about your opinions on this. I prefer honest and direct communication. You give them that, and they get offended because you're mean. I th- I'm not saying it's a one-to-one, but what I am saying is so many people seem to be offended when, they, when CM Punk tells them exactly what they think. And they seem to be offended when five years ago, most of the shit that happened with Punk in the last two years, we wouldn't even know about. You think about how many backstage fights we've heard about years after the fact. And how many things that were handled in-house, whether it's because of wrestling media or because kayfabe or whatever you want to bring it up. There are so many different things and so many worse things that have happened than anything that has happened with CM Punk. And in this particular case with Jack Perry, you had the biggest star in the company and a pre-show match. And a guy who has probably never been legit punched in the face in his life or told no. Trying to fuck around and find out. And he did, and he didn't like it. I'm not saying that Punk is blameless. I'm not saying he didn't overreact. What I am saying is you don't poke the bear, especially a bear that's known for confronting people physically if they think they have a problem, and then try to swat at the bear and then yell at the bear and then go, oh, the bear hit me. And I think that's exactly what Perry did. He took a moment out of a match that had nothing to do with it and a thing that was over and should have just disappeared. It shouldn't have even been a story and called out a very defensive big star on national international broadcast and he thought something wasn't going to happen. They thought nothing was going to be, there wasn't going to be a confrontation here. It seems disingenuous at best for all of these wrestling reporters to only be focused on punk. And unfortunately, Blind Squirrel finds a nut every century. I had to agree with Vince freaking Russo on something. 
Because his take was basically, if Tony Khan fears for his life, have a freaking heavy around you or have someone backstage that's looking out for stuff like that. I think a lot of this does fall on Tony and the way that backstage things are handled. Because how do you have old school guys like Paul White and Mark Henry and Claudio and all of these people and there's nobody backstage mediating these things and keeping this shit in house? And I think Punk was at a level of frustration of dealing with this passive aggressive bullshit. And if we go back to Brawl Out, once again, a thing that could have been handled in-house and would have been in any other era of wrestling history. But for people to clutch their pearls about CM Punk, when we had in the same show a family being featured prominently that have more allegations and way worse allegations than you can count. And you think of how many other people who have way worse allegations against them for shit that they've done, or allegedly, being featured prominently on the show. You have Cash Wheeler doing what he supposedly did, and it's not even referenced, let alone addressed in any way. He just goes on like nothing happened. And I'm not saying that should have happened either or not. What I am saying is... CM Punk is just that person who is in the spotlight so much and the media focuses on, on him so much and then gets surprised when he gets a little pissed at them. I think it's overblown. I think people are just making too much out of stuff that their favorite wrestlers have probably done more times than they could count. And maybe it's also just because I grew up in the era of stuff like the plane ride from hell and all of the shit that was going on in the backstage area back then that everything punk has done has just seemed like people thinking they can get away with stuff and acting like the top star isn't the top star, especially someone like Jack Perry. So it doesn't hurt that punk has used his platform repeatedly to stand up for trans rights and abortion rights. That has definitely cemented my opinion of him in certain ways, but I just think this is a symptom of a lack of backstage mediation and overblowing things for clicks and YouTube hits and downloads. And it's really disingenuous in my opinion. Uh, uh, I'm gonna st I'm gonna let Kyle go first, but before Kyle goes, because I know he's he's sitting he's sitting there right now, he's ready. Um, I will say I do agree that there needs to be some sort of like I wouldn't like do we really need to call them a heavy anymore? Um, but somebody needs to be in between Tony and the and and the top star. And honestly, after hearing Mark Henry talk about this, I think that's the guy. Like he had one of the most like honest opinions about all this because he was a punk guy and he simply said okay the problems are over now right because you got rid of the problem so there better not be any problems anymore and i couldn't agree more uh -huh. like if, if this guy was as terrible in the locker room as he as he, it was uh you know told that he was then i don't want to hear about another backstage brawl in three months I don't want to hear about there being tension in the locker room because it, he was the problem, right? But Kyle, before I finalize my opinion on this, I ha I have to hear what you're going to say. Okay. I'm going to go through Punk first because I... 
I obviously have a differing opinion on some of this stuff. And this is this is going to come off as, you know, as somebody who is not in the business, who's not in locker rooms, who's not, you know, coming from an outside perspective. It is going to have an air of, you know, outsider looking down on, on the inside. And I totally recognize that. And if somebody wants to call me out for that, that is fully fine. But from my vantage point, as is true across any industry, not just wrestling, old school mentality is kind of bullshit. And the reality is that in a workplace, regardless of what it is, if you come and like yell and scream at your boss, odds are you're going to get canned. And that's just sort of, you know, the, the nature of it. That's the reality of it. And I do understand that CM Punk is going to get a lot more attention in this. One, because he's CM Punk, and CM Punk is going to get a lot of attention because the wrestling media landscape pays attention, cares about this stuff. I don't really blame people for, uh, you know, wrestling journalists or whoever it happens to be for reporting on this stuff because the reality is that people eat this stuff up and they'll consume it. With Punk, they're very ready for to consume all of the stuff about Punk because it's interesting because it's, you know, he doesn't care what people think and he does what he wants and whatever. And, ooh, he's such a rebel. Um, and I don't... I do think that CM Punk needs to do a better job processing his grievances. And I do think that CM Punk needs to do a better job, if he's going to be in a locker room in the future, uh, in recognizing that that old-school mentality might not fly in the modern era of wrestling. And if he's coming into a locker room that is already established, like... If he's going to do a locker room that's already established as an outsider with the amount of clout that he has and the amount of whatever, it's kind of incumbent on you as the person coming in to fit within the, what is what is currently working, if it is currently And CM Punk wants to be CM Punk. And CM Punk always wants to be CM Punk. And that's fine. It's just going to lead to you know, situations where there are CM Punk guys and not CM Punk guys. And I do agree that it seems to be a split down the people who have that more old-school wrestling mentality versus people who are um, not like that. But I'm a person who's sort of like the old-school mentality is kind of, a lot of the time, it's a little bit bullshit. However, having said all of that, Tony Khan... What are you doing, buddy? First of all, you hired CM Punk while continuing to employ Colt Cabana. You made no efforts to try to get the two of them to even so much as be in the same room together, let alone like actually hash out the shit that they've got to deal that they've got to deal with where they have no interest in talking to each other. If you're in a situation where two employees who may have to work together or really see each other in the back and interact are on non-speaking terms for a long-standing grudge, it is your job as the head of that, if you are bringing one of those people in, that you got to sort that shit out. And Tony Khan is not a sort that shit out guy. 
What's interesting about Tony Khan is that in the world of wrestling, he's kind of a, you know, kind of a celebrated figure. There's a lot of people who work for AEW who have nothing but nice things to say about him. Jericho, Moxley, glowing reviews about the guy. And then you go and look at his record as a president and an executive in sports. During his tenure, during the tenure of his running of the Jacksonville Jaguars, there was a period of time where he uh, was employing a man by the name of Tom Coughlin who had a very old school mentality of his own that did not fly with the modern NFL players. And there was a point in time where a quarter of the Players Association grievances in a league with 32 teams, a quarter of them were by players about the Jaguars, the team that his father owns and he was the president of. Yannick Ngakwe, uh, one of the Prominent pass rushers for the Jaguars full out hates the guy, thinks he's a spoiled brat. And that is nothing compared to it's ironic that he's coming into England. I wonder if he got the opportunity to meet with some of his Fulham players face to face during this period of time because my understanding is a lot of that team full on hates the guy. A lot of people had a lot of not very nice things to say about this guy, dude. He has a history of questionable at best leadership and using his daddy's money to get himself into a position of power and then fucking up because he is, you know, second generation money. And I mean that in the most pejorative way I can possibly say. And I agree with Mark Henry in that sense is that you have now had this situation where you have been publicly embarrassed several times because of this circumstance with CM Punk, because of these dealings and the fights and the backstage chaos that is existing to the point where you had to make a separate show so that all the, the people who would go along with CM Punk could not share the locker room with these, uh, with the, you know, the elite people. And that's ridiculous. If this isn't the wake-up call that gets Tony Khan to get himself to get his stuff together and to hire the people that he needs to sort all of this stuff out and to not have to be the only voice in charge to the point where he is going to, you know, run himself dry and already has a history of not being able to really manage employees for a long period of time and be successful at it. If this isn't the wake-up call that gets him to be better, then there's nothing will be. And Chaos cannot be the order of the day because the reality is you can throw money around and you can throw TV time around, you can throw procedure around or whatever it happens to be. But if your locker room is more chaotic to the point where people feel like they need to go to WWE instead, that is a sign that things are going horribly wrong for you. And there was a way. If Tony Khan was better at this, that CM Punk could have continued to work for AEW. As it stands, I don't think there's a way that CM Punk could continue to work for AEW, and I do think that he was right in terminating him. But that needs to be the wake-up call that gets you to be better and more in charge of this. I'm not saying you have to be like, 
a bully who goes around and makes everyone afraid for their jobs all the time. But you do have to, you know, be a leader in this regard and be able to be that full, that voice of final decision and then be able to like actually make decisions that people one believe in, but two, at least respect you enough to go along with. And the biggest thing, the sign for me for Tony Khan is I don't think CM Punk respects it at all. And that's not a good sign. And to be honest, I'm not, I would wonder how much of that raw luck room actually does. The, the final thought that I want to have on this is um, I love the elite. I, I'm a big fan. I love CM Punk. I'm a big fan. Business could have been made here. I think that one side was a little bit more hesitant to to work with the other side. And like, look, that's just what what's been reported. We are in a business of everything that's been reported is rumor. It's innuendo. It's it. We we, we don't know 100 percent. We don't have anyone on the record saying anything. But. When I hear reports of a meeting between Punk and the Elite and that meeting being canceled, whether that was, you know, whatever or not, it seems like one side wanted to get on better on a, on a better page. And he came into this weekend frustrated and he dealt with it really shitty. And I, I said this to Kyle off air. There's a there's a video tape of this of whatever incident happened and obviously tony khan felt confident enough that this videotape was damning enough to cm punk where he could let him go and i respect the decision making finally uh i i hate the fact that cm punk is gone from AEW because i worry about a prospect of him coming back to the WWE and being walked all over because that's not what I want for the end of that guy's career. But like Marissa, you said earlier, like CM Punk is not blameless in this. He needs to work on that, that, you know, anger that he's got where he feels like he needs to confront somebody over a comment. But to that same point, why are we okay with these comments being said it's it goes back to hangman page and cm punk why were we okay with that promo because we didn't talk about it maybe if cm punk and hangman page had talked about it going into that promo none of this shit might have started cm punk used to do that stuff all the time man yeah like that's the only thing is like i don't I think he, did he ever go off script no and that is that's the only question i would be curious to know if CM Punk, when he, you know, did his call out to whatever it happened to be, if he ran it by the person first. Are you talking about the pipe bombs? Oh, I'm talking about all of it. Like, I'm talking about his entire career. I, like, I, the pipe I, bomb, obviously. Yeah, I was going to say, like, like, I feel like in WWE, definitely, uh, he had to run some, he had to run at least what he was going to say by somebody. But in AEW, they have a loosey-goosey you know, like direction for promos. And I'm not, I'm not sitting here saying I'm not for that because I think that some guys achieve better success when they're not scripted and, and they're able to go out and do that. But 
I just, I feel like there's also like, like obviously there's, there's a, a caveat to that in a sense that if, if two guys are going out there and one guy's going to say something that he knows is going to piss the other guy off, we need to have, a, and it, it goes back to Tony Khan. We need to have a little bit more management in the management department, in department. Like it, at this point, like, Kyle, you said it best. Like this guy is second generation money, and he needs to start acting like this is his company and not just letting the the, the inmates run the asylum. So I got to cut it on a couple things okay. here. All right. First, I got to say I'm not defending the old school way of things. What I am saying is you have to account for it. Yeah, absolutely. And when you have an old school guy who you know is going to get in your face if you push his buttons and you do it anyway, the responsibility is not just on him. That goes for the elite, that goes for Hangman, that goes for Jungle Boy, who all seem to go, oh, I'm going to go off script and attack this guy personally. What? He's mad at me? He's coming after me? Like, I just feel like there's, it's so one-sided where the focus tends to be especially in a lot of wrestling media. And I think that's irresponsible. It also means if, you, if you're, if you're going to be an EVP, you don't get to go, I'm not going to meet with that guy. You're an EVP. It's your job, especially when it's your biggest star. By far, the elite and all of them are not on the same level as CM Punk. And you're going to sit there and wonder why the guy's pissed at you if you're going to be a child about it and not go, oh, I'm not going to meet with him. I mean, look, Santana and Ortiz hate each other. They managed to be in the same match. Like, it can be done. But when one side has executive power and also refuses to participate in the equation after going into a guy's locker room and then being surprised that he was going to respond... I don't vibe with that. I just don't. I agree that you need to understand that you are in a different locker room and that the old school way isn't necessarily the way it was handled there. But you also know that. You know this guy's old school and you know what he's like and what he's going to do. And if you choose to make those decisions anyway, you can't turn around and just shuffle away going i don't understand why he got all mad at me it's just childish i i, I do want to and this will be the last point i make i do want to push back a little bit on the, the media coverage of punk because it like i said before we are dealing in a we we are dealing with an industry that is based on rumor and innuendo and I understand that he is front and center for all that. And we have the Dave Meltzers and the Brian Alvarez's who generally report negative news about this guy. But now we also have a Nick Hausman who's doing the other side of everything. And I'm not convinced that CM Punk doesn't have this guy, you know, on his phone texting him, you know, this is my opinion about this. I, I think that it works both ways. Like we we need to not necessarily focus on all of this kind of bullshit when we're having a show that does eighty three thousand fucking bot like people and and over a hundred or like close to two hundred thousand buys in an era of pay per view that's not doing that that's a big deal. 
And like, I want to move forward now. And we're going to talk about all out. I want to commend AEW for one thing. Two days before All Out, they fired CM Punk. And All Out was a great fucking show. And they that that roster rallied. They got their shit together. And they, they really put on a great pay-per-view. And they were against the grain. Because you were in CM Punk's hometown where he was expected to be there. He's, he was expected to main event. And he didn't. And this crowd... While definitely there was pushback, uh, they eventually just gave up on the fact that they weren't getting him and just loved the fact that they got the wrestling show they did. Kyle, I'll let you take it away. Uh, do we want to start with the pre-show at all? I, I didn't see it. I did not see that one. Um, rest of the pre-show? I did not. Okay, cool. Um, things happened. Um, there was a battle royal. There was... A uh, match where you got all of the other women in in a match that was that's nice of them. Yeah. Um, I, I say dripping in sarcasm. Will I don't get sad and saying wrestling too. You know what, what you always want. So the ROH titles opened the show, ROH tag titles, and Adam Cole and MJF defended them, defeating the Dark Order. Dark Order played good heels. Um, they knew they were getting booed because of their association with Hangman. And, and which is weird considering that Hangman won that battle royale and got cheered. So the Chicago crowd didn't quite know how to take everything, but the Dark Order was definitely heels and Adam Cole and MJF did it again. They they had a great match. It was they had they were playing around MJF's neck injury. They apparently he got it all in, and he went out for a while, came back to make the hot tag, and it was just it was a fun match. Really good opener. I uh, you know like as much as I want to see somebody turn, uh, I see Marissa's end of it too, and uh, I see that this is this is successful, and why not just keep going with it. Yeah, I would also say the Dark Order was going to get booed, not just because of that, but because they were going against MJF. And even Adam Cole gets booed if he goes against MJF right now. MJF is so hot that he could do pretty much anything and still get cheered for it at this point. So I think turning him into having that baby face fire and coming back with an injury, great, great thing. He's doing 80s wrestling and people are eating it up like it's a fresh thing. It's it's really amazing to see. Samoa Joe defeated Shane Taylor to retain the world, the ROH World Television Championship. There was, although I sorry, go ahead, go ahead. And on his way out, had a moment with MJF, which started a thing. I think should be mentioned too. Yes, yes. Okay, so uh, I'll say this about the the match itself. Uh, it was. It was a Haas match. And it was fine. It wasn't the Haas match of the night. And mm -hmm. we're going to talk about some meat in, in, a, in, <laughs> in a little bit. But uh, I, this match was fine. Shane Taylor has been killing it in the gym. He has gotten himself into great shape. And he is moving fantastically. I think Joe is a great opponent for him. I hope, this is what I hope, is that Shane Taylor comes back and takes that belt off. 
I don't want it to happen anytime soon. I think Joe's got a good thing going. And like Kyle says, strike the iron while it's hot. Like Joe's hot right now. He's not MJF hot, but he's still hot. And I'll run with this guy because he can talk. And as we talked about, or as we're going to talk about, so can MJF. Uh, Marissa, what were your thoughts on the match? I love Shane Taylor and I'm biased because... I got the chance to know Shane Taylor back in, I want to say, 09. And he was just the life of the party every time he was in the locker room. And anytime Shane Taylor gets on TV, I'm very happy. And anytime Samoa Joe gets to be Samoa Joe, I'm also happy. So the fact that we're also going to put him in the heel role against white hot MJF, I love everything about it. But I also love seeing Cleveland's own Shane Taylor getting prime pay-per-view time and it just makes me happy it makes me think of all the conversations we had he wouldn't know who i was i'm not going to pretend like we're friends or anything but he was just an absolute delight every time he was around and i'm so happy to see him in this spot kyle do you have any thoughts i'm a fan of shane taylor i have not seen a lot of his work you know whatever ROH stuff i could catch at the time and his uh his collective of of people. But yeah, I, I would like to see more of him. Again, the thing about this ROH side of things is it is it still gives space for some of these people who aren't necessarily featured on TV as much in the AEW world to get some time and some opportunities. And that's really cool. And apparently he's been on Honor Club TV a fair bit and winning matches. So I'm, I'm happy to see it. Uh, I will. I will say that his quarterfinal match was against Serpentico, and I feel like that was a literal squash match. <laughs> it was. <laughs> um, Luchasaurus defended his TNT title, defeating former champion Darby Allen. This match was drama in all the aspects that you get it in the Bloodline storyline, but just compartmentalized into a match, and it was great. There was a spot where Darby Allen hits the stairs and he's busted open. And I love the fact that he bleeds on the opposite side that he's painted on. Because you can bleed all over that paint all you want, but it's just going to wash away. And this guy, this was the, this was a bloody night, don't get me wrong. But uh, this guy started it and holy God, there was a point where Luchasaurus put the stairs on Darby and then walked on them. Uh, that looked great. Um, but no, like, I thought this was really fun. Uh, Luchasaurus, I have like a, a weird track re record with, like, I think he's really great at, in moments. And there's also times where I'm like, he's average. He was really great in this match. Um, and Darby Allen was Darby Allen a hundred percent. He always is. Um, I worry for this guy's health. But uh, I was I was happy with the way that the, and I, I really love the fact too, and uh, uh, that 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 the uh, the match ended with a reverse clothesline to the back of the head, like that's so simple. Why do we need to have a fucking uh, one winged angel every time? Like I love the fact that Darby Allen fought as hard as he could, and it was a clothesline to the back of the head that took him out. But that's just me. Marissa? I agree, especially on that last point. And I think that moves meaning things has 
improved ever since that memo went out that certain things need approval. I don't see 28 pile drivers and Canadian destroyers being kicked out of in every match. Like, I really appreciate that. I've, I've had a really hard time with the Nick Wayne thing being like, oh, you're just going to forgive the guy that tried to kill me? Cool. Because that storyline got really messed up. Yes. But yes, it did. I mean, I'll admit when they announced Christian Cage as the replacement and he did the promo against Nick Wayne that I was a little sensitive because there had been four deaths in my circles and then Terry Funk too within like the last three days at that point. But since then, I've actually made a video of Inigo Montoya talking about his dad and then cutting it with that clip of, I've heard a lot about you. I heard you have a father. So like, I'm, I'm so into Christian Cage's gimmick right now, even though I was a little sensitive to it at that moment. And this whole father of the year gimmick and being the champion, but not the champion. I am so into it. Christian Cage is one of the smartest people in wrestling and he wasn't even in this match and he's the only person I can think of to talk about about it. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we will move along. Uh, big meaty men slap meat. Your thoughts? Oh God, this was, this had no right to be as good as it was. You gave these guys <laughs> like 17 minutes. What? Powerhouse Hobbs and Miro, 17 minutes? That's ridiculous. But, you know what? Fucking crowd ate it up. We got some unique as fuck chance. And it got CJ Perry on TV. So... CJ Perry's back! Yeah, she's back! Here we go! Uh, Miro is not convinced, though. He he thinks she's not real. So, there's that. Um, God bless Miro. Oh, yeah, you're not real as he walks away from her. Um, but no, this match was great. The crowd was reacting to all the big spots. Like I, we talk about MJF making eighties wrestling work. They, these guys did it too. Like this was nothing but big power moves in weird spots. And the crowd just loved the fuck out of it. And I am so happy that we are in an era where we can appreciate these big meaty men slapping meat like we are right now. So that's what I have to say about this one. I have to think Sean Stasiak was around somewhere and just had a tingle like, oh, my my meat sense is tingling. <laughs> <laughs> but talk about two smart wrestlers. Yes. There there are two there are moments, especially in modern day WWE, where so many things are scripted to the point that you can't move without it being scripted. Talk about two incredibly smart wrestlers who hear that something's working and maximize it and draw it out and play into it. And that's what I took out of it the most was just seeing, oh, these two know exactly what's going on and they're working with it. And that is just a brilliant case of two wrestlers knowing exactly what's going on and maximizing it. Kyle and I have a award that we give away at, at the end of every year called the Haas Fight of the Year. Good luck to anyone. <laughs> who was going to try and beat the match where uh, the crowd starts chanting meat. Like, slap that meat, beat that meat, all those things. Um, no, I don't know. Like, Walter and Sheamus and Drew McIntyre is still a oh, really, really good match. It is a really good match, but man, Kyle, man. Did it get meat forever, Chance? No, it did not. <laughs> 
Um, oh, man. Uh, we'll along. Um, as is tradition, there was one women's match. Uh, Chris Statlander defeated Ruby Soho to retain the TBS championship. Poor Ruby Soho. Seriously? Uh, this oh, match was Heidi okay. Loveless. What is wrong with Heidi Loveless? Why can't she oh. ever win a big match? Never. Not allowed. Can't be done. Like, uh, firstly, all credit in the world for coming out dressed as Zoolander for Chris Stantlander. I think that's great. <laughs> but um, honestly... Got, got a retweet from, uh, from Ben Stiller, yes, too. Yes, it did. I, I saw that today. I, uh, that made me laugh. Um, but no, like, and, and no shade on Chris Stantlander. I love that no. chick. But you're right. Like, Ruby probably needs this more. And honestly, how interesting is a fractured outcast with... Um, Soraya as the AEW champion and Ruby as the TBS champion and Tony Storm as Marilyn Monroe. <laughs> Two votes. <laughs> uh, but, but yes, uh, can Ruby win something? Seriously. But make a thing and let her win. Maybe she could win the, the ROH title. I don't want Athena to lose anytime soon, but maybe Ruby can be the first to take her. Yeah, I think Stat is just on top of the world. And I love this strong woman gimmick she's doing too, like where she's doing squats with Renee on her back. And like, I, I'm all for stuff like that. And this, this and the following match with Emi Sakura. That's how you use your Chris Statlander. Because ever since she beat Jade, she's done a fat load of nothing. And this is the way to get her back on track. Brian Danielson defeated Ricky Starks in a strap match. This was close to my match of the year. Like, wow. Wow. Firstly, uh, final countdown looking like it's going to be Danielson's like permanent, at least pay-per-view theme song. That's great. That's great. Um, Danielson, he, he said in the press conference after, after that he's not 100%, but he also questioned if anyone noticed he didn't throw a strike with the hand that, or with the arm that he uh, was, he had injured at uh, Forbidden Door. Because he apparently did not. And I think that's incredible. Ricky Starks, uh, that guy's a star. We've talked about it for months and for years. Give Ricky Starks something to do. Yeah. Actually, honestly, I feel like Ruby and Ricky, they need to create a thing for them to win. And uh, honestly, like, and, and he didn't even lose anything in losing this match. This was Danielson bled so disgustingly. Ricky Starks bled. Okay. Like, uh, if, if we're talking about pro wrestling and we're talking about people who bleed like he bled for a minute and then he was he was he was back to just ricky starks again but danielson oh my god this guy looked like he'd been through quite the battle and this like i'm not a huge fan of strap matches but the last two danielson had were great so that's all i'm gonna say I love the promo going into it too, talking about how the last strap match he had was with somebody he loved, and he doesn't even like oh. Ricky Starks. And so you can imagine what he's going to do to him. And he did it. He totally did it. Yeah. That's yeah. 
Danielson is the greatest in-ring performer of the last 20 years, easy. And it's his ability to do things like that, like to work a match without throwing a strike and nobody notices. He did and this on 24 like, hours notice too. Yeah, yeah. And I also feel like the final countdown is special for those moments, but I think it's just a little more special for those of us who were hearing it when it was in front of 300 people in a gym somewhere and now get to see it in front of big crowds like that. Like, it's just... I just wanted them... I remember even back in WWE during the Yes run, like, I just wanted it once. I just wanted it one time. So to, that we've gotten it twice at two very different shows, it just makes me so happy. And if you're going to have someone fill that void of punk leaving, like it or love it or hate it, I'm glad it's Danielson. That seems to be his role, too. No matter what company he works for, he's the guy who cleans up punk's <laughs> mess. It's either him or Moxley when something goes wrong. They, they, or, yeah, if something goes awry and we need to do something, we got to bring back Moxley. Poor Renee. She deserved that vacation. Anyway, um, getting back into it. Blackpool Combat Club defeated Eddie Kingston and Shibata in a tag match. Sounds violent. Uh, there you go. There you go, Marissa. They won the match. They're all right. They're doing fine. This <laughs> yeah, match was okay. Sure. It, it was it was fine. Like Shibata's always great to watch. Eddie Kingston is one of my favorite wrestlers of all time. Um, and so is Claudio Wheeler. You is okay. He's all right. You know, like he's, he's fun to watch. He's a young cat, but like, ah, this match wasn't, it, it, it definitely was the, a, a, a come down match on this card. Yeah. The, the best part of this match was the segment beforehand where Claudio beat the shit out of Wheeler. <laughs> <laughs> like, see, I beat him up and he's fine. He gets back up. Bam. <laughs> Oh, Claudio's the best. We'll move on. Takeshita defeated Kenny Omega. Thoughts? Marissa, I'll let you go first. The minute I saw Takeshita, his first appearance in AEW, I think it was even on Dark, I just saw this guy and I'm like, I need to pay attention to him. He just, he just has that factor. And to watch him go from being on Dark to beating Kenny Omega clean. Jeez, like, what a moment for him. And kudos to Omega for putting him over the way he has. And I don't know where this Callus family thing and, the, and their brown noise entrance is going, but I love it. And I want to see Takeshita just be, like, the most feared person on the entire card regardless of whether Callus is the one pointing him in a direction or not, and they are well on their way to that because he looks invincible right now. Uh, I thought this match was fantastic. Like, how could it not be? Like, Takeshita has been one of the breakout stars of the year, if not the breakout star of the year. Um, and Omega is great. He's always great. So I, I expected this. I had high expectations for this match. They met it. They exceeded it. And again, like Marissa said, I love the fact that Omega did not go over in this match. He doesn't need it. Takeshita does. And Takeshita looks super strong coming out of this. I'm excited to see what uh, the next direction is. Because like, I, I don't need 
Kenny Omega stabbing Don Callis with a screw with a screwdriver next week. But like, you know, if you could if you could make this go on till November, or I mean, I guess I guess they have a pay per view coming up at the the beginning of October as well. Now, um, we'll talk about that at the end. But like, Jesus, like I'm 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 happy with this storyline. Keep it going. Bullet Club Gold defeated Bullet Club Old and also FTR in a match. I eat Vantag. This is a chaos. It was okay. That's that's how I felt about this match. There was like FTR and the Bucks are going to work great together, and and Bullet Club Gold is fantastic. That's the best thing that they've done with the Bucks too. Or sorry, not the Bucks. Uh, the Guns. That's the best thing they've done done with the Guns too. Like they they are look like stars now, and um, yeah, like uh, I'm I'm a fan of everybody, but it just was okay. Like I I felt like there was a bit of a a dip in this show. I I, I was you know happy with it once it was over, but after that Danielson match, like there was a dip just based on the fact that the crowd could not keep up to everything else until the end. I like the psychology between FTR and the Bucks of knowing each other so well that they're able to coordinate different moves and work in different spots with intermingling between the teams. Like, I thought that was really neat. We'll move on to the main event and the international title, which was crowned before our very eyes around Winnipeg. Uh, it has changed hands. It appears that John Moxley is the new international champion, defeating Orange Cassidy in the main event match. Thoughts on this one? The more people complain about characters like Orange Cassidy and Danhausen, the more I love them. And I love them anyway. So, like, just anybody who says that funny doesn't draw money has probably no fun in their lives. Like, I just, I love fun. And I love people who do something different. I've said it a million times. Wrestling does not always have to be two muscly, sweaty men grinding their foreheads to each other and growling. Like, I I think the rise of Orange Cassidy fighting champion becoming someone who's like, oh, I really do have to take this seriously and proving it time and time and time again and then standing up to John friggin' Moxley and earning the man's respect... What an amazing story. Like, I know he could have won and that would have made him instantly, but I think the the redemptive arc he's probably going on where he's going to go after Moxley and work his way back to that and eventually beat him. What a great, great match and a better story. Like, just this, this is pro wrestling. This is what I love about pro wrestling. A hundred percent agree. This so far is my match of the year. I challenge any wrestler in any promotion to try and top this one until like the end of December. Um, this is so damn good. Orange Cassidy was the best he's ever been. Moxley was in fine form. Like this was fantastic. There's nothing more, much more I can say beyond, uh, you know, the, I, I enjoyed this on a level that I haven't enjoyed a wrestling match in, in at least a year. So uh, this this match really stood out to me and uh, good on them again. Good on them for knowing that the crowd was going to eat this up, booking it in the main event. And, you know, like 
this was a, this was a really really re- trans uh, tra- um what am I thinking? Uh, yeah. Transcendental. It's a transitional move for Orange Cassidy because now I don't think we can take him as the 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 sloth anymore. I think now he's just Orange Cassidy. He's a bit odd, but he gets the shit done. And I've been feeling that about him for quite some time now. But after Moxley, like, and he was on Dynamite, so he, he he's definitely not going anywhere. There's no write off. Um, Kyle, I am interested to hear about your your opinion on the last few booking choices. I do think it's a little odd for him to be Moxley holding the international title, but they clearly want to make that title, uh, you know, elevate that title in a way, which is sad because, you know, they had it on talk and they did not take that title seriously. But the uh, was All-Atlantic Championship, whatever they were calling it before. But, yeah, I, I think that's Moxley's a good choice. He'll make a good fighting champion. He can carry on that tradition if that's what they want to do with it. Orange Cassidy, I will say this. The day I believed Orange Cassidy could be world champion was uh, in the middle of the match between him, Pac, and Kenny Omega for the title. can't remember which pay-per-view that was. But that was... That match was way better than it had any business being. And turns out that Orange Cassidy has been able to deliver. This whole run was truly incredible. And I'm looking forward to seeing what they decide to do next with him. And yeah, at this point, whatever you feel like doing, honestly, if you want to do MJF and Orange Cassidy at some point, I'd be down fully. Hook it up to my veins. The rest of it seemed like a it seemed like a more safe show than than all in, which isn't that surprising. Uh, I will wait and see because apparently we've got another pay per view coming up now. Wrestle Dream October first. Already, um, this one's interesting because he stated in the pre or in the uh, uh, media scrum afterwards that he was going to have some help from New Japan with this. Uh, pay-per-view but if you go and you look on their schedule for new japan all of their stars are working that night so i don't know what the inclusion of new japan is going to be apparently the show itself is dedicated to antonio Inoki. it's the one year anniversary of his passing um and it's taking place from seattle so i expect some heavy danielson influence there's a few people from from that area because uh, Darby Allen Swerve are also Pacific yeah. yeah, I was I was at the Dynamite in Seattle back in January, and Swerve, Darby, and oh, there's one person I'm forgetting, but they were all super over, and it was so much fun. Yeah, uh, Danielson, yes. of course, Danielson. I mean, and then. In the in the pre-show, you had speaking of big men slapping man meat. You had Brian Cage and Chef. I think is that name. He's from D Five. Big mm. guy. I think that's right. And that match went like twenty minutes, and it was just the two of them slamming into each other. And I really enjoyed it. So, uh, do you have any final thoughts about the the two pay per views that we uh, reviewed today as we as we wrap uh, this particular episode coming to coming towards an end? 
Um, I really strong showings for AEW in big moments, and I think that the the ceiling is 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 it's been broken through. Now, can you hold on to this? Because WWE is doing some interesting stuff too right now. They have some big shows coming up. I really hope AEW continues to like succeed like this. I, I I'm interested to know what the numbers are. Um, like gate wise for the next few pay per views. Um, but no, I I just I mean, how how do you not have anything positive to say about eighty three thousand people? Like that's that. I really think that if they do it next year, it needs to be not two weeks in a row. But other than that, I think the shows were incredibly distinct from each other and both enjoyable in their own way. Although I could do without them pulling the WWE thing of naming the attendance 48,000 times every show and also doing the point to the sign so that we know that's what they mean thing. Like the, they, they used to be so good at not doing that WWE shit. And I wish they would get back to that because it got to the point, especially after all in that whenever they said it on television, I would go, how many? And it, 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 that's just, it's too much. It's too much. And that's what, that's one of the things that made me stop watching WWE was saying the same thing every 45 freaking seconds. But that's, if that's the biggest complaint I have about something, I'd say, despite losing their top star, they're doing really well and they're in good position. Um, thank you so much, Marissa, for, for coming on to the show. Before we uh, wrap this up, is there anything you'd like to plug your Anything you'd like to uh, to let the audience know about? Yep. If it, I am on a bunch of podcasts and I'm a guest on many podcasts, including this one, you can find, if you search Marissa McCall in your podcast app, you can find me there. And I at least try to review one show a week on wrestlingheadlines.com under the column in layman's terms. I'm coming up on <laughs> number 450 because I've been doing this column since 2011. Uh, with a break between 2018 and 2022 in there, but I've been covering wrestling a long time and I am a former wrestler. Uh, I mentioned that and having that experience changed how I view wrestling. And sometimes I have unpopular opinions because of that. But if you like someone who loves goofy stuff to the point that they give away a ham every week, I'm your person to read. I know wrestling columns have been sort of surpassed by YouTube and podcasts, but I'm still there plugging away. Be sure to check out Marissa's column. It is fantastic. Um, I you. enjoy it greatly whenever, whenever I'm, I'm in the wrestling reading mood. Um, Ryan, is there anything else you want to uh, mention before we get out of here? Um, just... You know, pay attention to the channel this month. Uh, we have a lot of good stuff. We have our AEW over under coming out uh, next week, uh, as well as another ed edition of Wrestle Quizdom uh, heading into our five year anniversary of uh, us doing podcasts together. So get excited for October because it's we're gonna have a lot of great stuff. And uh, Mad Dog McCauley joined myself and DK on World's Fights podcast this month. Uh, you, you need to listen to that show. It's, it's very funny. Uh, we all have a great time and, uh, yeah, just uh, everything else, like pay attention to wallet media and, uh, stay tuned for a lot of great content.
Well, thank you so much to everybody who has listened to all the way to the end. We appreciate each and every one of you, and you have been loved. You have been listening to a Wallop Media podcast. You can find us on Twitter at Wallop Media. The hosts of our shows are Rylan, Kyle, and DK. You can find Rylan on Twitter at Rylan Wallop and Kyle on Twitter at Kyle Wallop. Production is by RJ Spearin. You can find his work at facebook.com slash spearkingco. Logo designs are by Maisie Mulder. You can find her work on her website, maisiemulderdesigns.com. Our podcasts are hosted by Acast. You can listen to them on the podcast catcher of your choice or on our website, shows.acast.com slash wallopmedia.